online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Hello and welcome to Food FM Stories. Food FM are a global digital radio station telling powerful personal, political and uplifting food stories from around the globe. My name is Sai Alexander. I'm a senior producer at Food FM. And this week I had the privilege of attending the Speciality Fine Food Fair at Olympia in London. The Speciality Fine Food Fair is the UK's leading showcase of artisanal food and drink. Uh, It was my first time at the event and it was incredible to see the passion, the enthusiasm bursting out of every single unit, bench and stall at the fair. Despite the adversity faced by well everyone over the last few years, especially in the hospitality and food and drink sectors, the attitude and the gusto with which all of the exhibitors inhibited was amazing and so reassuring to see. During the next two podcasts, we speak to those businesses who attended the show. We talk to them about the people and stories behind the business, what makes them unique and different. We also talk to them about pertinent factors within this industry, such as sustainability, cost of living, and the impact world events have on supply chains. This episode, we talked to Steve at Roundton Coffee, Noel from Rockfish, Phil and Viv at Brown Bag Crisps, Nick from High Water, Crystal at Luxwells, Gregory from Blackthorn Salt, and Steve, director and chef consultant and resident at the Taste the Trends kitchen throughout the two days of the festival. First, though, we caught up with Sam from the Popcorn Shed. Well, now we're an omni-channel business, so we sell online and we sell B2B. Uh, We're mostly B2B, uh, selling to customers uh, in the UK and also all around the world. We started with three flavours. We've now got uh, 28 different flavours. We do ready-to-eat popcorn and we do make-at-home popcorn. Um, So the the range has really grown uh, extensively in this time. Fantastic. Can you talk us through a couple of the products and the flavours and and sort of the packaging too? Yeah, of course. So we've got our Shed range, which is our signature range. Our best-selling flavours include salted caramel, butterscotch and rainbow, all of which we've won Great Taste Awards for. Um, The packaging of our signature product is a bag, sorry, yeah, bag and box format. So the popcorn's in a bag inside the Shed box um, to reflect the name Popcorn Shed. Um, we do lots of different packaging formats. We've got snack packs, gifting jars, gift tins, letterbox gift. You name it, we've probably got it. <laughs> it looks incredible. It's so colourful and vibrant. Um, in the last few years, obviously, we've been everyone has been through a lot, businesses included, obviously. Have, have things, uh, any adaptions or things you've done differently that have actually turned out for the positive because of also the sort of adversity we face in the last couple of years at all? During COVID, we saw we pivoted the business uh, to to online. Uh, we rebuilt the website from the ground up. Um, we uh, had lots of different options for customers to check out on the website. So we had uh, single units, bundles uh, added to the collection. We had the option of adding multiple addresses uh, so people could send gifts to uh, you know different 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 friends, different family, different um, maybe employees if they're a corporate customer. Um, and so the e-com side of the business has really grown significantly since COVID and it's here to stay. I think we've definitely seen the baseline of sales. Uh, whilst it's come off since the pandemic, we are still at a much higher baseline than we were 
pre-COVID. In terms of sustainability, that's one of the most like pressing issues that loads of people in, you know, in the flying food fair are going to be talking about right now. How has sort of the um, societal pressure on sustainability impacted your business in terms of, I don't know, perhaps either packaging or those sorts of things? We are the uh, first brand to have fully recyclable packaging in our shed, for, in our shed cartons, which is our best-selling product. Um, so we use a film for the popcorn which is uh, a standard recyclable film and the cartons themselves are sourced from FSC uh, sustainable forests and are uh, they're made of board so they are recyclable in standard paper waste we've also released products with our with a recycling mindset in mind so things like our gift tins which are made of aluminium obviously aluminium is fully recyclable like a tin can would be um, uh, so yeah we, we you know it's at the forefront of our minds and we continue to try to um, bring out products in line with our sustainability policy. I'm Stephen Walpole and I'm a chef director of Steve Walpole Limited. We're just sat sort of uh, literally at the kitchen in the middle of the fine food fair right now. Can you just talk, uh, talk us through your role here today and what you guys have been up to? I get the privilege. I'm an ambassador for the speciality team, but uh, every year I run the uh, Taste the Trends Theatre. So we've been running a number of different uh, slots and events around the themes and the trends in regards to what's happening but also just to really showcase what the show's about and some of the really good producers and products that are here. Excellent. And what sort of things uh, have you got being cooked on stage today? Well, for the last couple of days, we've done some really good things. We had an Eats Meets West where we've been looking at products from Japan, from Korea and from Asia, and then sort of mixing them up and really trying to sort of showcase the different sort of cuisines and how you can really, you know, bring them to life and find really good products here at the show. We found... Uh, Health has been a big one, so we've had a lovely uh, couple of demos about just health in general in regards of products that are there to sort of aid you know, gut health, things like that. We've also been doing uh, a lot around the Great Taste, so we've got the Great Taste uh, three-star overall Golden Fork winner this afternoon, and uh, that's a real privilege to have, you know, be cooking you know, with these products. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really sort of fun. It's been nice to sort of see different aspects. I think trying to bring trends to life and really show some of the really good producers we've got here are amazing. Any producers or um, trends that have surprised you or, or things that have come out this year? Wow, I never anticipated that. I've been very impressed actually. The Caribbean aspect seems to be, uh, I know it's driven quite a lot of food, but suddenly you're seeing a lot more of, sort of the, you know, the, some of the paste, some of the sauces, some of the flavourings coming through, which has been really nice. It's been great to see the, uh, the Korean element as well and really sort of some, you know, items and ingredients that you just wouldn't normally see or know to what to do so i said yeah it's been really good gin is everywhere there's absolutely oh, the gin boom continues and it's you know literally every corner you turn but it's been really good because actually out of that people like popcorn shed have made a really good pink gin uh, popcorn flavor stuff so does it taste of gin it's got a really it's got a nice note and stuff yeah but you know the tea gin people who are just sitting uh, right behind me you know it's really good because they make teas that you can have as a tea, but it's also the same flavourings they use in the gin. So really good. So if you're a non-alcoholic or no, not an alcoholic, but drink alcohol, you know you can get both the flavour profiles. But they're so good that I've been using them in some of the desserts to help, you know, enhance not only just the flavours but the aesthetics of a dish as well. So it's excellent. Amazing, isn't it? A rare industry that even at the top level of the game for chefs, you're never done trying every ingredient in the world. There's constantly new stuff all the time, right? Yeah, and that's why this show's great for that. You, know, you, you find little little nuggets or little gems you know, just, just sitting in there. But I think what's really nice is that 
especially with people like the uh, the take stock people with their bone broth like hearing the story and the element behind it people like um the salt guy you know the lovely ladies with the uh, the turmeric paste i mean that's just you know amazing to hear how it's you know, it's changing a whole you know villages and stuff back in their country because of you know how it's you know become a farming there you know some of the stories and some of the product are just amazing it's weird how the story can almost make the thing taste better because it sort of suddenly means more to you somehow like you connect with it well i think that's why the discovery zone for me is fabulous because you're actually meeting the, the ceos you're meeting the founders you're meeting the the real people who have got a passion for what they do and they're really trying to elevate it up to that next level you know they're not salespeople as such they are the genuine product and their you know their heartfelt love for their products and what they want to do inspires me because then I take that product away and I come up with some magic and produce dishes I mean already we had the peanut butter lady was absolutely gobsmacked that we turned her savory salt and uh, black pepper peanut butter into a light sweet mousse to go with a chocolate dish and yeah I mean we we've had such great fun. even the cavas this uh, fermented beer style drink from Brussels it was so good that we turned it into noodles to go with the Vietnamese pho, and the man's like, "Wow, I would never afford to put a drink in it." So I, you know, I get, I get to play around. I get to have the best day ever because I could just, you know, be be crazy with food. But it's nice to see their faces and see that you're championing their products and they're really, you know, trying to elevate it as well. It's, it's great. It's amazing. Well, I'll leave you to it. Uh, full day of it. Thanks so much for speaking to us. No worries. Thank you very much. Morning, Steve Ashman, sales director at Roundton Coffee. Yeah, so Rountum Coffee, we're a Yorkshire-based company supplying all over the UK and a little bit beyond uh, as well. Started about 10 years ago. Dave, who's over there, founder, was a chemical engineer, got a bit bored with that, uh, cashed it in, took a rucksack, load of cash, and uh, went around the world and on a train. And a part of that ended up in Sumatra and had a bit of an epiphany moment. Was sat roast with the sort of coffee growers, drinking coffee and thinking, I'm going to change my life. Came back, bought a coffee roaster and started roasting coffee. Wow, that sounds like stuff dreams are made of. That, and is that the, the coffee beans? Is that where he gets them from, where he discovered it? So we get them from all over So now. So what started um, sort of back then has grown into something like very different. So we'll get coffee from all over the coffee belt. Some we'll do through uh, importers. Somewhere we're dealing directly with the farms and sort of changing some lives, you know, out, out there. And um, yeah. Um, within the sort of coffee world, sustainability has always been a, a big factor within this. Yeah, really important. Uh, tell us a bit about that and how it builds into your business. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're going for our B Corp status this, this year. The, the application's all already in. And sustainability is super important because without our growers, we don't have a, a coffee to sell. So all our coffee is specialty grade. Um, and like we're, we're dealing either direct with the, the farmers or um, through sort of reputable importers. So everything you can trace, and like some stuff, so there's some of the work we're doing out in Uganda is phenomenal. So 60p from every kilo of coffee that we sell goes straight back into a project out there where they're planting shade trees and, and educating the people to do so. So that sort of stuff is a bit we should talk about some more. We don't talk about it enough, but it's changing people's lives through coffee and just doing the right thing, really important. That's incredible to hear. Do, do you almost find that, that it becomes a, as big a part of the almost marketing sell for a business now, that, that you are sustainable? It means more to a customer these days as well. Oh, without a doubt. So people are, I think lockdown, that two years where people had a little bit of time, meant they had a bit of time to start to have a look and ask some questions and, and that. So during that, that time, we got loads and loads of questions you know, about it. And we didn't have to change necessarily what we were doing because we were already doing it. We just need to talk to people a bit better. You know, about to say, yeah, really important, and to be able to do it at the right price. You know, so when we're sort of selling our coffee, 
you know, we're not pretentious about it. We're not particularly elitist about it. We just want to get really good coffee out there to folk. Um, Excellent. I love the ethos behind it. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much for talking to us. It's a pleasure anytime. Noel O'Brien, Director of Seafood Operations, Rockfish Group. Uh, briefly, give us a bit of background to Rockfish, you know, what it is you guys are all about and, and when you started. Well, actually, we're, a, we're, we're actually a seafood restaurant uh, company. Uh, the business started in 2008 down in, uh, in the southwest of the UK, down in Devon. Um, and uh, our founder, who's still very much uh, involved in the business, Mitch Tonks, um, essentially wanted to change the way that, pe uh, that Britain, uh, the, the population, eats seafood. So, um, from what to what? Well, I think that uh, traditionally coastal seafood restaurants have been dominated by fish and chips. Okay, and Mitch, uh, although we have a, seafood, uh, a fish and chip offering, uh, cod uh, had it. In fact, cod is now off the menu uh, because of uh, at, uh, the impact of the Ukrainian war. Uh, and we were taking much more of a slant uh, on the way that the, our continental cousins, particularly in Spain and Italy, enjoy seafood. Uh, so, and of course, there is a place for fish and chips, our, our, you know, one of our national dishes. Um, but we wanted to experience, or people to experience, different species, other than just the five most favourite uh, species of uh, fish that's consumed in this country. So we have tuna, cod, haddock, prawns, and uh, there's one other. So salmon. Okay. In Brixham, which is our home port, we have 45 commercial species being landed. Uh, we have some of the most diverse fishing grounds in, in Europe. Uh, to, and where uh, we or Mitch has seen a, an opportunity is to share that with the Brits, okay? Rather than exporting 70 to 80% of our seafood over to Spain and Portugal, it's why the hell can't we have it and enjoy it uh, in the UK? And it's, well, why, why, have we, why have we been missing out and what are we missing out on then? Well, we're missing out on just, <laughs> we're missing out on, I say, up to 45 beautiful different species uh, to, across the UK, anything from cuttlefish, which is you know, it's now known as uh, uh, Brixham, uh, Brixham Gold, all right, so, but it's, uh, uh, sorry, Br Brixham Black Gold, all right, cuttlefish because it comes in its ink. So an example that we're doing here is, is how can we make this more accessible? When people look at a piece of cuttlefish, it's kind of quite intimidating. So what we've been able to do is take the cuttlefish, can it, uh, to mix it with some beautiful bay herbs uh, to, and uh, passata, and make it much more accessible and easy to enjoy. Uh, to, uh, it's already prepared for you. During lockdown, okay, we, like a lot of business, had to diversify our business because our restaurants were closed. That started with a, uh, div, div, uh, uh, online seafood boxes with fresh fish. So we're taking bricks and fish, buy it by 12 o'clock uh, today, and it'll be delivered to your door tomorrow anywhere the length and breadth of the UK. So it's about sharing that. And then the tinfish was a natural evolution. We spend a lot of time over on the continent looking out to see what's new out there and what's familiar. Uh, and I personally spent three years living in Portugal. And we looked at the tinfish uh, proposition. We're like, why the hell do we have to bring in all of this fish from the continent when actually we've actually got it on our doorsteps? So we decided, or Mitch Tonks decided, that he would can it. Uh, and we take, so, you know, our species here, Cornish mackerel, Cornish sardines, Brixham cuttlefish, um, and Lime Bay mussels. They're all local, local fish indigenous to the southwest, all sustainably caught. Um, Mitch Tonks is, uh, is an ambassador for MSC, which is the Marine Stewardship uh, uh, Council. So we wanted to basically take those products, can it, bring it back in a way that is accessible and presentable to the great British public. So we've made it available through our online shop, but also we include it also onto our menus. 
So it's 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 again it's a holistic approach, and again, just going back to the rhetoric of trying to change the way people in this country experience seafood. It's amazing having that. Um, you know, every company wants to make money, obviously, but to have that that actual drive of wanting to change your mindset and have like an ambition and a passion to change people, I think that it's that is like a, having a core belief like that, really strong. It's tangible. You can see it throughout all the products here on the shelf. The art, the artwork, and the. Uh, the packaging is absolutely stunning. Can you, have you got any more information about how that, well, yeah, that came I, around? I, I, I do. Mitch Tonks's wife, Penny Tonks, happens to be an artist. Oh, wow. And uh, how, how useful. How very, very useful. And, uh, and we, we, we commissioned her, uh, basically, and said, look, can you, can you please create this beautiful range? Uh, and that's exactly what, what she's done. So it's completely unique, colourful. And it seems to be the theme of the show here. There's a lot of colour uh, in the packaging and the presentation. Uh, and of course, we want it to. We you know, want people to be uh, uh, their eyes drawn to the product. But it's also interesting when you when you look at uh, again the Portuguese, the Spanish, and the French, how they're also canning their products. It's really, really vibrant colours, and it's beautiful. And that's what we wanted. To, uh, we wanted to stand out from the crowd. They're almost works of art in their own right, aren't they? Well, I wish you all the best of luck over the next couple of days. It's a beautiful stand. Uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you very much. So my name is Crystal, um, and I am the founder director of Luxwells. Um, so Luxwells stands for Luxury Intertwined with Wellbeing, um, and we are a new brand. Uh, our beverages are um, water infused with flowers, so botanical infused water. We have launched recently with three new flavours, rose and honey, lavender and pear, and hibiscus and mint. And all of the products are handmade in the UK, using only real flowers, no artificial colours flavors or preservatives. Wow, that's, it's super impressive. It's a beautiful looking stand that you've got here. The botanical thing is sort of shining through like almost the birdcage style ornaments and all the gold shelves you've got here. It's really stunning. Really unique idea. Honestly, never heard of that before. Is that, was there like a gap in the market that you wanted to seize? Is that how this idea came around? Yes, massively. So um, I'm glad that you picked up that it was a cage because the, the whole concept is to uncage your hydration. Um, and so I came up with the idea because I struggle to drink enough water. I find it to be quite bland and boring. Um, and so I just came up with the idea um, when I'd had my daughter. And I was just trying to make sure, and during my pregnancy as well, I was just struggling to drink enough water. You know, I'd have a big jug with a nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, I have bottles scattered all around, you know, the drawer and your car door and your bedside and just not drinking enough. Um, and I just thought, you know, there has to be a, a, a a different way to make it exciting um, and I was finding that a lot of the other sort of flavoured waters they sort of had like an aftertaste um, or you'd go to try it and for example it's supposed to taste like strawberry and it smells like strawberry but when you drink it it tastes like medicine yeah. I mean, what is this <laughs> taste it's not what it's supposed to be um, and also around about that same time they were doing the sugar tax um, so when I was sort of having cordial drinks um, they'd obviously changed those flavors and that just really put me off the different flavors that they'd then come up with, which then made me realize how much sugar is actually in the things that you're drinking, even with the water, you know, and a lot of additives and colorings and flavorings and preservatives and things that are not actually good for you when you're becoming more aware of what things are and aren't good for you. And so I kind of just use that time to really research into what is in the things that we're eating and drinking. Um, and that's sort of where I came up with the idea. And I just thought, 
what would be need to be in a product to make me really enjoy it, um, but also really want to keep drinking it. And thought, you know, I'd like something quite luxurious, something to make me feel special. Um, and I thought, oh, roses, you know, I'll, let me try roses. And then I started experimenting with all different kinds of flowers. And I came up with these three flavors because I thought they're, as an introduction, flavors that everybody can sort of familiarize themselves with. Everybody knows rose, everybody knows lavender. Hibiscus is a new trend that's sort of coming to the market. It's not a new flower, um, but it's it's something that's becoming, you know, more popular. So I thought that's a good time to sort of put that forward. And, you know, I think next year I'm going to be um, adding some additional flavors that are not as um, mainstream, but I'm hoping that people sort of trying these flavors and trusting the palette that I've tried to put together will be willing to try other um, different flavors. Part of the fun is discovering new things, but I mean, it must have been quite a, even though you went after roses straight away, it must have been quite a trial and error thing at the beginning when you're doing this from scratch. Was that a fun or stressful you know, time, perfecting the recipe, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, so it was very fun in the beginning. Um, just, you know, I, I kind of went, got like a book about flowers and I went through like sort of every flower and what we know it as and what it's officially called and ordering all these different, you know, flowers in and, you know, tasting them and infusing them, you know, and, and just which ways get the best strength and the, the, the best bite or flavor. So it's not too flowery and it's not, you know, not scenty enough. And I remember I'd be sort of, it's all in my head. And so when I'd be explaining it to people, people would say, oh, you know, if you've got an idea, you should tell everybody. And then you can get real life feedback. There's no point in spending your money and getting things. What if they don't like it? And <laughs> I was telling everybody about, you know, lavender and, you know, what about that in water? And I could see people's eyes like, what is she talking about? That sounds disgusting. And it, it's actually our most popular flavour, yeah, because um, people never quite know uh, what to expect. They think that they won't like it and they think that the lavender is going to be too punchy. But they always say, oh, it, it, it's just subtle enough and the pair really wraps it around to sort of bring it together. So that part was quite exciting. I think where the challenge came was sort of trying to get it ready for retail. Um, where I was sort of making it myself, it kind of had like a shorter shelf life. Um, so then I had to sort of go to a lab and kind of get it made up so that it could stand, um, you know, being ambient stable. Um, so that process was more tricky because it was trying to make sure that I kept it natural. Um, so you didn't compromise. Precisely, which is a huge thing that I'm finding at the moment, even sort of trying to get into manufacturers. They're like, well, why don't we switch the, flavor, the flowers out for a flavoring? And I'm like, no, this is the whole point, point yeah. yep, is that it's made with real flowers, that it's natural, that it tastes the way that it's supposed to. Um, and, you know, kind of went to a, a great deal of effort to make sure that the story tells itself from the moment you open the bottle, you can smell it like a fragrance, you can taste it, your palate is prepared and it, it matches what it smells like. It's not, you know, an anti-climax. Exactly. And you think, oh, that smelled really nice. If only it tasted the way that it smelled. So that part was quite scientific to just get that right part. But I've, I found the whole journey really exciting and interesting because it's I've never done this before I've never had a business before I've never done beverage before um, so it's um, yeah that's amazing it's genuinely really inspiring and it feels like you've latched onto something very 
specific but authentic to you. And I think it's, that's where those stories, just, they just connect with people before they've even tasted the product. And I think that's half the battle. So kudos to you. Um, how's the fine food fair been for you so far? We've almost like wrapped up day one. Is this your first time here, I assume? Yeah, so it's my first time here. So I, I discovered um, the fair last year. Um, so I sort of inquired, it was just after it had finished. So um, yeah, I've kind of had a, a year to sort of, in my mind, prepare how I want it to look, but the time just went by like that. I can't believe it was a year ago since I first um, got, you know, started looking into it, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, and to my pleasant um, surprise, um, we were shortlisted for Innovative Product of the Year. Um, today we were on the Taste the Trends kitchen um, and we were pitching downstairs as well. So fingers crossed, I'm going to find out the results later on today. So um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's been an amazing experience and getting to know a lot of people and, and different contact points. And it's, it's, it's a really fantastic place to come to. I would recommend it to anybody starting up. Oh, awesome, that's really good to hear. Lastly, where can people go and find out more about your products? The website, I assume? Yes, so on our website, so uh, we are www.liveluxwells.co.uk um, and in terms of finding us uh, for the products, we are um, available online. Um, we are also stocked in Panzers in St. John's Wood um, and in Ben's Grocers uh, in Kings Road, Chelsea, Notting Hill and Primrose Hill. Um, and if anybody is on the other side, um, we have recently launched into a store called Rarebit in Elephant Park. Um, and we've recently pitched to uh, Selfridges and Planet Organic. So we're trying to get into um, uh, other stores as well. Yeah, uh, my name's Nick Britton and I'm the founder of Highwater Hard Seltzer. Excellent. Now this, I mean, it's such a stunning and striking brand. Can you just uh, tell our listeners exactly it, uh, what it is that your, your product offers? So at its simplest, it's just alcoholic sparkling flavoured water. Um, incredibly easy to make, hard to make well, and that's, uh, that's what we've been smashing with high water, just making a great tasting, uh, wonderful alcoholic drink. The fact it's hard to make well, was that the thing that inspired you to start this in the first place? You maybe tried others that you thought this isn't quite hitting the mark? You know, where, where was this idea born? Absolutely. So hard seltzers are born from an idea of being a tasty drink that is a lower calorie alternative versus other standard alcoholic drinks. And um, I tried a lot of things on the market and I hadn't tried something that was really doing it for me. So I decided to set something up which was no compromise on every single element of, of the ingredients of a hard seltzer. So whether that's the, the best source of alcohol using really good quality British triple distilled vodka or the fact that we use Cotswold spring water rather than mains water, the fact we use all natural flavors, no sweeteners, no preservatives, all of those things ladder up to uh, an amazing tasting product. When I was younger, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in uh, Devon and Cornwall, and I still believe to this day today that um, the happiest times in life happen at the water's edge. And when it's high tide, also known as high water, the world looks a more beautiful place. And I wanted to embody that positivity and optimism into the heart of the brand, hence the name High Water. And then with the oceans giving us so much, it was really important uh, to me for us to give back as well, which is why we give 1% of our profit to a wonderful UK marine conservation charity called Just One Ocean. And then as well as giving back, I wanted to reduce our, our impact as well, hence having um, uh, plastic-free packaging so we're, we're not contributing to any issue there. So uh, doing our bit for the environment, gluten-free and, and vegan as well.
So no sacrifice on quality, basically, on the quality ingredients you're sourcing. Is that also, does that have its challenges? You know, always trying to find the best ingredients might not always be uh, easy to get hold of or in the volume that you need to, to get it. Yeah, so I think I think the, the the key challenge that it comes down to is that is that cost thing. So we know that we are um, a good value um, hard seltzer, but we know that we're we're not cheap, um, and we're a sort of more expensive side of things. But we're we're a premium quality brand, and that's what's really important to us. So we've decided that it's worth making that sacrifice of paying more for the quality of our ingredients to deliver better taste for people drinking. Uh, and choosing hard seltzers. Excellent. Where where can people predominantly find you guys? I assume you've got a website, but are you in supermarkets or do you endeavour to get there? Yeah, so um, we're we're deliberately focusing on on high-end places at the moment. So we're in Fortnum & Mason, The Ritz, uh, Gaucho, Virgin Atlantic, and um, we're, we're sort of building the brand in, in places where people really appreciate it. We're in conversations about sort of scaling um, selectively as, as we're progressing. But yes, you can buy it through our website, drinkhighwater.com, um, and also through, through Amazon as well. I'm Phil, Phil Lamb, and I'm the MD of Brown Bag Crisp. And I'm Viv Lamb, the co-founder of Brown Bag Crisp. Well, so we founded Brown Bag Crisps how many years ago now? Yeah, 12, 12, years, 12 ago, years ago, and actually yep. we launched at this show um, 12 years ago today. Yep. Have you come every year since? Every, every, every single, single year. year. Yeah. Big, fans there. Big fans of the show. It is the best fine food show in the UK. I mean, it is the one to come to. I mean, there are a few of them around the country, but we don't tend to go to those. We tend to just come here. We always get great leads. We always get good customers. Um, and we, it's kind of kind of part of what we do now. Yeah, We're very much, you know, home, have, we can't imagine not doing it. That's so nice. So is it a bit of both, customers as well as that business-to-business -business sort of stuff? Is it a bit of both? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also lovely. We're an independent. We only supply independents, so it's great to to meet other producers as well. So we've got lots of our existing customers here. We always meet new customers, and it's nice to see other exhibitors who are sort of on the same journey and path as we are. Absolutely. Uh, so from the outside, you know, people might just on the face of it go, crisps, that's a big crowded market. Twelve years ago, what was the reason here? Why did you go and start this journey together? Oh, well, that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we did, it, they always say do something that you know, always do something that you love. And I used to eat a lot of crisps and I was bored of what I was doing. Uh, it was a journalist. I was in good old IT and we decided one day, well, I decided one day, uh, that we, would, we wanted to do something different. So we started this but little factory, started making crisps. When we launched them, they were in olive oil. They were quite unique at the time. And even though we can't do the olive oil now because it's too expensive, um, it, the crisps have grown from strength to strength. And um, I, I see on all the labels cooked in sunflower oil. Does that make, is that one of the more unique ways of, of making crisps? Pardon my ignorance if that's not the case. That's a fair question. And the oil is very contentious at the moment because of, sadly, because of the tragedy in the, of the Ukraine war, sunflower oil is very hard to, to come by. Um, so we, like many other producers, are having to sort of diversify a little bit. We're using rapeseed oil at, at the moment. Um, I think the sunflower, the olive oil which we launched in, seemed like a great idea at the time. But as the price rose, we realised actually it didn't, the taste wasn't any better for being cooked in olive oil, and that's when we moved to sunflower oil. And actually, to be fair, that's when we could uh, drop our price a little bit, and then suddenly we started getting more and more customers. And uh, and and sometimes it's, you have to sort of make a difficult choice. And so we moved away from olive oil, and you know one day we might go back to it because it was a lovely thing to have. Absolutely. So what was like the first, was it just one flavour when you, when you started out or like three, you know, how, and, and how many do you have now on the shelf? Well, we launched with four flavours. So 
for a crisp company, you've got to have lightly salted, salt and vinegar, cheese and onion. You've really got to do that. The core flavours. Yeah, still our best sellers today. Yeah, still 70% of our sales are those three flavours. And we also launched with our oak smoked chilli, which is quite a unique chilli. No one else does something quite like it. So those four flavours we launched with, uh, we, we still have today because they're our firm favourites. Excellent. And has, has uh, you know, one of the topics that's come up a lot with people I've spoken to here today is like sustainability and whether that's uh, the packaging that they use or how they distribute. Has that been a big challenge in, in, for good and bad in the last couple of years? Yes, it has. Yes. Um, but uh, our crisp bags are recyclable now. Um, so it's, um, you know, a, a lot of supermarkets will now take this kind of plastic and they'll reuse it. There are many park benches and road signs that are made out of our crisp bags. And the great thing about them being recyclable in places like Co-op is that anyone can now do that. So we're finding more and more of our bags now getting recycled. We also have a free post address so people can send the bags back to us free of charge if they haven't got time or don't want to do it themselves and we'll then recycle them for them. So, you know, we're quite proud of that. Yeah, it should be. That's super unique. Often the um, cafes and pubs we supply get through a lot of crisps. So they use the boxes we send the crisps out in and then fill them full of the crisp bags to send back to us for free, which is brilliant. So it's, we kind of feel, you know, we're trying our hardest to do our bit. Yeah, I've never heard of that. That is incredible. Really amazing. And, um, you know, what is this sort of show, I know you, well, you're clearly big fans. You've uh, been coming for 12 years. But, um, you know, what's the, is it always nice just to get the reaction of people trying your crisp for the first time or a new flavour they've not discovered? Is that just that instant rewarding like gratification no i think it is and i think they're also you know we're a nation of snack lovers people do love love crisps and that's a great thing and we love seeing people you know we love meeting new people we love our existing customers coming and saying oh i've never organized ordered your tiger prawn before and now we've got them and we love them so we do get a real we get a real buzz out of yeah, the show yeah we do and actually everyone loves crisps so we're kind of on a win-win so when people come to the stand they're, ne they're never going to say oh i don't like crisps they might sometimes say i'm a little bit full and can't eat as many as i want now or crisps aren't a proper breakfast yeah, we which, do get that a little yeah, bit yeah though crisps are actually a very good breakfast <laughs> for, um, us. <laughs> for us yes so yeah so it is a lovely product to sell because everyone loves them I mean, I, it sounds judgmental, but if I met someone who said that they weren't a big fan of crisps, I'd slightly question, like, how am I, are we going to get on? You know, do you know what I mean? Uh, well, it's a beautiful looking stand. Thanks so much for chatting to us today. Good luck with the, the next two days. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet Lovely you. talking to you. Uh, it's Gregory Marshall and the founder of Blackthorn Salt. Uh, there are so many stands here at the Fine Food Fair this year, uh, some large, some small, some do a great job of maximising the space and creating a really eye-catching display and this is one of the most unique displays you'll see if you were down at the Fine Food Fair today. Would you be able to tell us Gregory a little bit about your business firstly but also about what I can see before me here? Sure, so um, we produce sea salt uh, on the west coast of Scotland basically but uh, we try to do it as naturally as possible and uh, sadly we don't have the same weather as in the Mediterranean so... Yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully not too soon. No. Oh, that would be a bit bittersweet, drastic. wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be a little. So what we try and do is to use the natural environment that we have. So uh, we did quite a lot of research and looked at various different methods and have constructed a tower. So what you can see is a, a model. So the real one is um, 8 metres high, 25 metres long. And what we're trying to do is basically evaporate seawater as quickly as possible. So it's kind of um, like doing your washing. You stretch it out as much as possible. It dries as quickly as possible. We're stretching the seawater out as much as possible. So all the tiny little drops have a larger surface area. So as the wind passes through, it takes away the moisture and you're left with a concentrated sea brine 
which we then take off into a pan and form the crystals in a pan afterwards. Wow, incredible. And what you've got here is basically almost a tiny replica of, what, of that. It's absolutely, it's a scale model of it. Um, is this almost like brushes or seaweed or what is that in, the, in between? Yeah, no, so what this, in, in the model it's just uh, bits of brush, but in real life it's Blackthorn, hence the name. So I don't know if you know Blackthorn, it's like slow, pick where you pick slows. It's from a Blackthorn bush. So Excellent. it's a hardwood and it has, because uh, of the large thorns, has a very big surface area, which means it, a larger surface area, more evaporation. Now, forgive my sort of ignorance, but obviously when it comes to salt, it's that, that is the flavour, that is the thing you're trying to create. Is there variations in salt flavour, or is it about the purity of it, or the crystals? Like, what is it that differentiates salt from salt uh, companies? What, what differentiates so, them? So there are loads of different, hundreds of different types of salt uh, around the world, and uh, lots in the UK as well. It basically comes down to uh, where, where it comes from and how it's, how it's processed. So if you take the bunk standard sort of Saxa salt, as it were, you know, that is a in very industrial process. It's about as pure sodium chloride as you can get, um, but it is done in a vacuum, and it's, you know, 99.9% sodium chloride. Then it sort of goes down in levels as, as, or down in levels of sodium as you go on. So ours is only 94% sodium chloride. Um, for example, Himalayan is about 99%, 98.8, I think it is. We have a lot more of the other minerals in it. So the sea's got every mineral in the world in it. It's possible. So we have a lot more of the sort of magnesium and calcium, potassium and sulfate, all, all of them in there. And that sort of 6, 5 to 6% makes a huge difference to the taste. It's like when you drink tea or coffee, you add a bit of milk or sugar and everyone has a different, it affects the flavour, but that's less than 5%. So if you think we're doing the same with salt, so you really notice the difference that it has on the food you're eating. Fascinating. I've never even thought about it in that way. Uh, why did you come to do this? Like, what was the, the moment where I'm going to make my own salt in this specific way? Uh, it's taken, I don't know, probably about 20 years or so to get here. My family's always been involved in salt in one way, shape or form. But, you know, I love food salt and cooking salt. And I was also an architect before I got into salt. So kind of it's almost a combination of my sort of love of food and salt and architecture. But yeah, I mean, it was just looking at different places in different ways. You know, Japan do something similar with trickling it down bamboo. Uh, and this is actually uh, very similar to an old process that was in Poland and Germany, but they stopped producing salt about 70 years ago. So, you know, it is, it's the only producing tower in the world. It's the only one that's ever done it using seawater. So, it's, yeah, it's quite quite unique. Really unique. That's quite incredible. And you know, I've spoken to a lot of people here today that have talked about sourcing ingredients, about how sustainability factors over the last few years have been uh, pressing issues. I, perhaps not as much for you because of how you're making your salt and where it is. And I suppose you don't... Do you have to, like, update the technology at all very often? You know, is it quite straightforward once you're set up and running? Uh, I think I mean, it is a sustainable way of producing, you know. 90% of it is, is done by the wind and the air that, that comes by. So it's all, all natural. The last process we do, you know, we do need some heat in that, but, you know, we, we have some solar panels, but we also are looking at ways that we can, I suppose, make that process easier make it sort of uh, more viable if you for example if you could increase the temperature of the um, of the brine that we take do by 10 degrees then that would you know double the rate of evaporation we get so there are lots of things that we we can do but we need to do it 
sustainably and make sure we use what we have in Scotland. So. Of course. Uh, is this your first time here to the Fine Food Fair or have you been before? Uh, no, we came last year for the first time, so this is our second time. So, yeah. How do you find it? It's been good. I think you never really know about these shows until, until you get home and you know, see it all. But I think the stand's been really busy. We've had lots of people through and had some good conversations. So, fingers crossed. Oh, fantastic. And uh, where, where can people go and buy your product and find out more about you? Uh, so, we've got a, a website, blackthornsalt.co.uk, but um, we're in sort of farm food shops and delis and selfridges, but um, and sort of lots of distributors that are taking us on as well. So, yeah, go and just get in touch and find something for someone. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Join us next time where we will be talking to more incredible businesses about their products, their stories and hopes for the future. Plus, I sit down on the Food for Thought stage with Andre Lewis, Head of Food, Wine and Spirits at Harrods, as we take a deep dive into life at one of the most famous and iconic department stores in the world. For more content and stories from the world of food, visit our website now. It's foodfmradio.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And please do leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. Thanks in advance for that. See you next time.